Perhaps never has Royal Ascot been so enlivened by international participation, at least not for a decade, at least not since Black Caviar ran and won famously in 2012. These are the declarations for the King's Stand Stakes on Tuesday. Amongst them are the United States star Golden Powell, the team captain for Wesley Ward's Royal Ascot squad, and Nature Strip, jointly the second highest rated horse anywhere on the planet, who comes from stall 10. And it's a first visit for many years to Royal Ascot for Australian, I think I'm safe to say, legend. Chris Waller, 125, Group or Grade 1 races and counting, trainer of the Great Winks and very elegant, joins me now in the studio. Chris, great to welcome you here. Absolute pr pleasure to be here, simple as that. And how are you enjoying this week, this preparation, this build-up to Royal Ascot, which we've all been rather excited about for some time? Uh, it's been fantastic. We're staying with Charlie Hills at Lambourne and... His team have done a great job to look after us and it's horse heaven, as what we would say, from Australia or New Zealand, where I'm actually from. Um, yeah, the horses come first, the cars stop when the horses cross the road. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, the vast open spaces and you can just see it in the horses, they're relaxed, uh, the staff relaxed, I'm relaxed and uh, we've got a couple of nice horses that we've brought to entertain. And there'll be some who will be saying, come on Walla, what took you so long? <laughs> What took you so long? Well, it's, it's not an easy step. It's a, um, we're in awe of racing in Europe, uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, and we watch it each Saturday night when the big races are on, or the Ascot Week, um, the Derby, you name it. We watch it, we're glued to it. We know you need to bring a pretty good horse to, to beat the locals, and you've got this week so many horses from around the world coming to, to take on each other. So you need to bring the right horse because it's a long way to come because uh, you've got to go home as well. It mm. takes a while for the horses to acclimatise here uh, and then come back into an Australian winter when we've got big racing 52 weeks of the year. So you've got to bring the right horses, and I think we've chosen well. OK, I want to talk about Nature Strip and Home Affairs a little later on, and you know, doubtless we'll talk a lot about, about Winks, but I want to dial it right the way back, because I don't know much about where it all, all began for you in, in New Zealand, and you, you made the point there, I'm, I'm from New Zealand. How... How heavily do you wear the fact that you're a Kiwi in, oh, in Australia? Well, Australia's home. Australia's been, Australia's been so good to me and of my family. Uh, we're two Australian kids and obviously a New, a New Zealand wife, but the kids were born in Australia, so Australia's home for us. And do they think of themselves as Australian? Very much so. Do they? <laughs> yeah, very much so. So um, we're lucky to be where we are. Um, I had a good upbringing on a, a dairy farm in New Zealand. My parents used to go to the races um, once a month as, as race goers, my grandparents were hobby breeders just with a few horses and the passion grew and just like a couple of you guessed before, um, I was a racing enthusiast and still am and respect the heritage and the tradition before me and um, yeah, it makes it a, a, a very rewarding sport when you have that love for, a, for, for an industry, love for the horse mm -hmm. or animals and um, yeah, from the dairy farm, the animal side of things came in and it's worked well. So you had that natural empathy as a, as a stockman, someone who understood yeah. dealing well, with, with, with animals. It didn't appear that at the time, but when you, when you look back on it now, it was just a great upbringing, um, working with animals and yeah, understanding when a, a cow's sick or a, an animal around the farm's not well, um, what you do to help it get back to, to full health and... And, and the things that go with it along the way, which are not always good on a farm, but um, yeah, it was, it was a, a very special upbringing. Tell me a bit more about your, about your parents. 
Um, well, my dad was a dairy farmer, yeah. mum was a school teacher. Um, yeah, very supportive. And I lived in a local town, probably similar to Lambourne, which is where we're staying at the moment, uh, a small town called Foxton. There was a few few horse trainers and I went to work with one of them and he used to travel a few horses to Australia. So I got the chance to travel and I thought this is good, I've made it, I've, I've taken a horse to Australia and led it around as a strapper, as we call them, mm. back home. And I thought this was good and you got to see those great trainers, see the great jockeys and um, it was pretty special. And then eventually got the opportunity to train myself and it's been an um, amazing ride from that point on. And it's actually been a, a pretty brisk ride as well. I mean, you only started training, what, in 1996, 97, that sort of time? a while ago now. <laughs> yeah, but it, it really, it doesn't... Yeah, um, it, I was... I was um, looking at one of your um, previous shows and I think it was Tom Daskin said he'd mm. been training or in the industry for 30 years and I had a, got my fingers out and I actually realised I needed 30 fingers. I've been in the industry <laughs> for quite a while. So yeah, training since well, training in Australia since 2000. I was three years in New Zealand before that and um, we had our first Group 1 winner in 2008 and since then it's taken off. What would you was Was that the, the point where everything turned? Having yeah, that group one, when yeah. people recognising you could do the job. Yeah, yeah, it was, and I watch a few of the English trainers and and how there's the emerging trainers coming through. And like this year, you had a, a gentleman trainers, the a Guineas winner, um, George Bowie. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's just amazing how much confidence that'll give him. Um, it just that was the turning point for me. It was just having that inner confidence to know that. You didn't need to change anymore what you were doing. You didn't have to try and work the horses harder. You just had to wait for the right horses to come along. When the right horses come along, they make everything look pretty easy. Some people are by nature just very ballsy people, aren't they? It doesn't strike me that you feel you are necessarily like that. Is you, were, you, were you a little bit more timid before you'd had, had yeah, that success? Yeah, very, very timid, shy, um, not quite, didn't have the confidence probably to think that I could do the job at that elite level. We were training a lot of winners, but, um, and you, you hear people talking, say, oh, he hasn't trained a good winner yet, and, and things like that. So uh, you can't do anything about it, you can't change it. That's the beauty of horse racing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you never know what to expect, and I say you never walk home from the races thinking you own it, because you just don't know what's around the corner either. And it wasn't that long between training that first grade one winner, first group one winner, to being part of what very few people will ever get to experience, a phenomenon in, in Winks and that, and that story and that journey. C- can you remember when, when you first thought this was something more than just training a good racehorse? Um, her, f- her second Group 1, we actually, she took a while to win her first Group 1 and she was beaten more often than she, she won uh, in the first part of her career. She won her first three starts, I think, from memory, and then she was... She might have only won one of the next sort of five or six. She, we sent her up to Queensland, which is mm-hmm. which is winter time in the three-year-old year, and it's not regarded as our strongest racing, but it's still good racing. And we took her up there to to win a Group One race. I guess it would be similar to instead of taking on the English Derby or the English Oaks, you go elsewhere to another country, and that's what we did with her. Um, and then she had a break. She returned as a four-year-old and won a Group One race over a mile and almost fell that day and yeah that to me showed me that she had that bit of extra quality and 
the winning sequence had begun then. It was her third or fourth win, and the next win was a Cox Plate, and that was when it really started to to get exciting. <laughs> um, yes, I think she she won every race for four years along those lines. The pressure started to build along the way, and it was an amazing ride, and she was a very good horse. You talk about the pressure, and you've spoken quite a lot about it. That sense of responsibility for a horse that everybody who was interested in horse racing in Australia and around the world felt they owned a part of. How did you deal with that? Uh, well, we, 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 yeah, it was interesting. We weren't obviously not trained to be media people. We're not trained to deal with these situations. But I guess it wasn't just a matter of it happening over a month. As I said, it was a four-year journey, and we learnt and felt our way through it. And we, we soon learned that she became um, everybody else's property. And we had the responsibility of informing everybody, and uh, yeah, you name it. It was a, it was an amazing ride, and yeah, to get it right, like with when you're winning sort of 33 odd races, however many she won in a row, it's 33 trips to the races, it's 33 final gallops, it's 33 media mornings, it's 33 recoveries, it's it's just one after another. Yeah, and it was a huge relief when she retired. She won a final race, which was the Queen Elizabeth, and by that stage she was getting recognised from all fields, not just sporting fields, but um, she was on the front and back pages of every newspaper in Australia and obviously capturing the imagination from around the world as well. That longevity is, is remarkable. We've seen brilliantly talented racehorses, but to keep delivering metronomically, yeah. and particularly for a, a mare as well. Yeah. Well, how that happened, was obviously she was a very sound horse. She never had any leg problems. And um, we used to space her races quite well. Mm. She got an, used to, I think she used to race seven times, maybe eight times in a 12-month calendar. So... It, it worked out pretty well in the end where a lot of her wins were that easy. She wasn't getting, she wasn't really being tested, so she would recover better, she'd get confidence, and uh, yeah, it takes a very special horse to do it, and she made us look pretty good. And that, of course, prompted so much debate here, yeah. which, yeah. which you, I endured, enjoyed, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and the narrative was, well, she's beating up a load of rubbish. Yeah. In Australia, you wait. Till, why don't you bring her here and take on some good horses of ours, and we'll we'll show we'll show her what she needs to be made of. I fully respect that, and we would, we would have loved to have brought her over for a lot of race like the Queen Anne. But as you can see on that that shot, um, she was so well received in Australia, and that was every race start. And we almost had a duty to, to keep doing that. Mm. Like it was it was a big big deal in Australia. She was on the back of Black Caviar, who did similar things. And that's, that, that photo, that picture there is a pretty good example of how racing in Australia is going at the moment. And, and you could ask, OK, if we're coming to Ascot, why aren't we going to Dubai, why aren't we going to Hong Kong, why aren't we going to America? It was just, it would always be something that we, we couldn't quite fulfil when people want you to do things. So um, I would have loved it to come here, the owners and everyone the same, but there was that obligation to keep her going. And as I touched on about the other horses, bringing them over here is one thing. They're coming out, so our horses are in winter now, and we've put them on a plane. It took 40 hours door to door. They end up in its summer here in, in England, and the sun's going down at like 11 o'clock at night, just about, and getting up at yeah. 4 in the morning. 
I, it's a big deal for horses, especially mares. And when she's expected to come back to Australia and do it all in reverse, like there's going to be a problem. It's they can't. They they are athletes, but they're animals, and we we respected that part of it. I mean, you talk about the strength of Australian racing at the moment, and we used to speak to various different members of the Winx conglomerate mm. of, of owners, and you've trained for huge syndicates. Getting all these people when they've got a, a horse like that, or, or very elegant, who's just gone from you to, yeah. to Francis Graffer, getting them all to agree about something must be part of the challenge of a job. How do you, how do you manage that <laughs> side of it? Well, when you, yeah, it's, it's, I guess well, I put all my cards on the table and, um, and spell things out best I can. And if you inform people well, and that's what I think the Australian trainers do very well, mm. is we've we've had to learn that, yeah, we need to get out there a bit more and allow people to see what we're doing, whether it be owners, whether it be punters, whether it be anybody. Yeah, people want so much information now. So getting that information out there and giving, trying to advise them best you can, I think is the key. And sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. Very elegant will always be very special to you because she she won you your your Melbourne Cup. Yes, and yeah. no matter what else you go on to achieve in in your career, if you didn't have that on your CV, how painful would that have been? Um, I would, a horse trainer would never admit that he is going to worry too much or she's going to worry too much about winning a big race. <laughs> but um, you could admit pretty, it here. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. special. So yeah, it was a great a great moment and an amazing horse. She'd she'd been Australian Horse of the Year prior. And the Melbourne Cup's a handicap, so uh, the bigger the race they win, the more weight they carry, and I think she'd won 10 group ones prior to this. And and never, yeah, she was just, she'd just never been so dominant over the 2,400 metre to two-mile journey. So that's when the, the Arc de Triomphe um, discussion, the discussions um, started, and she's an amazing athlete. And, and if, if they can get her right here, in her best possible condition, she will be very competitive. It's really? You genuinely that. believe yeah, she, I do. Can, I she do. can hold it to the Europe, best Europeans? Well, I know how hard it'll be. I know how to... And she's and she's, she's not in form at the moment, but we had a, the wettest ever year or autumn in Sydney, and it just blew all their form out of the way, so I'm sure she can bounce back. Um, and I think it's great that they've brought her over here for a proper preparation. I think a, um, a fleeting visit wouldn't have worked. And I actually said to the owners, I can't get her ready for an arc. She, she'd have to be prepared here. I said we could bring her towards the end. Uh, I think it was um, Champions Day. Mm -hmm. There's a 2,400 metre race, which would have been perfect for her. I would have been happy to bring her for that. But, um, yeah, to... to to prepare her properly, she needed to be here, and it's been great to see her settle in so well. And uh, she's she's pretty good. Is it? Is there a bit of it that's a bit painful? Uh, not to see a, her with somebody else's name uh, on the not, license. Not at all. That's that's honest. That's the honest truth. Um, because I want the best for the horse, and the owners wanted that opportunity. And once they make that decision, you've got to do the best you can to support them. So I'll support them all the way through and help them with the horse and. And yeah, try and give them the best advice, and and it looks like she's settled in really well. It's quite something, isn't it, to have one folk heroine in, in Winks, and you know, very elegant was starting to to chisel her way into people's hearts. Yeah, she certainly was. Yeah, and that Melbourne Cup, I think until you really win one of those big races, you know how important they are. Mm. But 
when when we were lucky enough to win it this year or last year now in the calendar terms, um, it really was significant. And uh, yeah, she'll certainly hold a fond place in my heart. Because of course, for all we beat our chest about how great our horses are in Europe, we might be hanging on to that mantle slightly tenuously. Uh, yeah, if, well, if, if you keep if you keep going the way you're going. <laughs> Look, I think no matter where you are in the world, horses are horses. I think Australia is capable of getting the best day, best 2,400 metre horse in the world, mm. but it's not going to happen very often. And likewise with the English and Irish sprinters, you can, you're going to have the best horses in the world and your races allow those ratings to happen, but it's not going to be as 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 frequent because you don't breed or don't train that type of horse whereas us in Australia don't breed the middle distance horses as well so I think the best way to look at it is respecting each 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 country each each hemisphere for what they do best and up in the northern hemisphere the way you prepare your milers and 2,000 meter horses and further it's just quite remarkable. In and what way? Just the way I think it's a it's a long and more gentle approach um, those beautiful uphill gallops. We don't have an uphill gallop in Sydney. And in fact, um, you'd be well aware of Gay Waterhouse, mm. and I've discussed it with her many a times. Do we need the facilities like they've got in England and Ireland, as an example? She said, oh, no, it won't work here. It doesn't work here for our racing. So, Are you sceptical? Do you think it could work? Oh, I think it could. It's a, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a great way to train, and just seeing Charlie Hills and how his operation works, he's relaxed and... And it's a great flow-on effect. It's a healthy environment. So there's so many good things up here. And I've heard you touch on a few other things that need improving, which, which hopefully will come together and the prize money aspect needs mm. to improve. But because you've got such a flourishing industry in, in Australia or in, in most states in, in, mm. in Australia, that should enable the industry to, to flourish the, the, the way you want it to. Yeah, it does. It does. There's great support. It's a great especially through COVID, I think it was the only sport going for about six to eight weeks there. And we really stood tall. Um, there's so many challenges in racing from animal welfare to, to you know, this endless amount of things that every sport, every business goes through and they're dealing with it well uh, and responsibly because the people watching at home want to see a responsible sport. They want to see longevity. Mm. And we've got to respect where we come from and what the people have done before us because it's our job now to, to lift racing and make sure it continues for another 200 plus years. Do you like the idea of making the international sport grow? Do you like the idea of making the world a smaller place? Yeah, I do. I think it's great. Um, harder with a horse though, but um, yeah, getting, getting good horses together in one venue is fantastic and the match races and, and talking up the events whether it be a golden pal from, from, from America and, mm. and nature strip from Australia and, and obviously English, Irish, French horses all coming together in one week is fantastic and your location allows that. But um, yeah, the positivity and good media and, and any sport is so important and get rid of the bad stories and, and get everybody working as one. And that's what where we're lucky in Australia. We've got a, whether it's the, the government in power or the opposition, our racing bodies work with them to try and get the best together mm -hmm. and we get some tax relief, tax help from the government and it's a big, it's an important thing considering the wagering turnover and how long it's been going for so many years. And you get got this competition and sometimes it's kind of quite a bit of needle between Victoria and, yeah. and New South Wales. Do you think that's 
quite healthy or not? Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting argument because where's all the money coming from? Obviously, there's money there um, and they keep finding it. As I said, they are getting some tax incentives from, from, the, from the governments because wagering turnover is good. But I think it can only happen if you've got one or two people making the decisions, not 100 people making the yeah. decisions. And um, to cut a long story short, in New South Wales, where I'm from, um, they just stripped everything to the bone probably 15 years ago and and they got the cost down. Um, the two clubs in Sydney, the ATC and the Sydney Turf Club merged. The government gave them $140 million to do so. They spent money on the facilities for the public to use, equally the public and members. And there was one club making the decision and there was no arguing, no bickering. There was one decision. And if that decision didn't get made right, it was it was... There was their Somebody was accountable for exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. So um, it's created good competition in terms of state rivalry now as well. So every time Sydney puts their prize money up, Melbourne has to has <laughs> to do it. And 52 weeks of the year, we're running for very good prize money. It's about it's just about to go to 150,000 every race in Sydney. Victoria will ma- match it in Melbourne, and then you've got all these pop-up races. So. Yeah, the Golden Eagle's worth $10 million. It's for four-year-olds. It's run on the same day as the Derby in Victoria, which creates huge debate, but it's all done because of turnover and and people gamble on those certain days and whether it be at York or whether it be at Ascot or a twilight meeting in a, in a remote area, um, people do invest on those days. So that's the sport we're in. Um, that's one side of it, and the animals are the other side, which is what I work with. Um, how do you how do you feel as the fl- chief flag flyer for Australia at a meeting like Royal Ascot? How does um, that make you feel? Yeah, it's very proud, extremely proud. Simple as that. And New Zealand, of course. Yeah. So, um, but it all comes down to results. But all I can do is prepare the horses to the best of my ability, and we've got two really nice horses, Home Affairs. Who's an exciting colt? He'll run on the last day, and Nature Strip, as you've touched on, is a, an amazing sprinter. And um, yeah, it makes me very proud. But I know it's important to have them right on the day. So if we could hear the um, Australian or New Zealand national anthem post race, it would be pretty special. It's funny, isn't it? Because normally we compete in in sporting events, and all we want is for you to to lose and to hear "God Save the Queen" playing after the race. <laughs> Is it, is it quite a curious phenomenon that there's actually quite a lot of people who want to hear, you know, your national anthem? Yeah, well, I guess it would be. I guess it would be. As you say, the small, the world's becoming a smaller place. We're all together now. And I think the Australian rugby team's got a... got a, uh, The English rugby team's got an Australian coach and the uh, the cricketers have got a New Zealand, New Zealand coach. coach. exactly. looks to be doing a good job. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know how he's doing this morning, do you? It wasn't going so well yesterday, by the look, when New Zealand were racking up 500 yeah, or whatever I think they it was. Closed okay. Okay. Um, as far as Nature Strip's concerned, um, I, I was talking on my podcast earlier this week to Jason Richardson from, from Channel 7, and he said, Mate, the others may as well start now. This horse just wins. He just wins. Will you, will you join in his bombast or no, not? No, not at all. Um, look, I think you've got to respect the 1,000 metres will be like the 100-metre sprints at the Olympics. Um, I think we saw the declarations before. It was 18 or so. Um, there won't be a big distance between first and last. And 
Well, hopefully there is, but... <laughs> um, well, you, listen, you, know, you and I both know how this is going to go, yeah. but we know that Golden Pal is going to go very, very fast, yeah. but it's a question of whether he can stretch it up the hill. That's right, and it's the same for our horse too. We've been beaten over a 1,000 metres when we've gone too fast. It's a, it's a long way. It might not sound far, but it's a, it's a tough 1,000 metre distance uh, with a slight undulating of the track mm. uh, and a steady rise at certain parts as well. So... Yeah, and the atmosphere of, of Royal Ascot is one thing as well. So I think there could be a few undercards there just, just happy to be under the radar, ready to pounce. Do you ever, do you ever and have you ever gone to the races thinking, I'd just win today, I'd yeah, just win this? Yeah, a long time ago and it come, you come off second best pretty quick. <laughs> and, and even with Winks, I just never used to think about it, just concentrate on the horse, make sure that You've done the best you can because they do the talking mm. and um, the more you complicate things and the more you build things up, the harder you fall. It's as simple as that. It's a long way home from mascot if you, <laughs> if you're, um, if you get beat. I mean, the difference with Winks and, and this horse is this horse gets, gets beaten fairly regularly. Yes. Yep. It doesn't make him not a champion. No. Is it, is it because routinely winning races over 1,000 and 1,200 metres is actually a bit more difficult. Well, very much so, and I think it's that's a good example of how you've got to respect the distance. You've got to have it right. Um, he can't just breeze up the straight and and say, right, I'm going to catch the, the leaders on the line. He needs to put a bit of pressure on them as well because if you go too slow, the leaders keep running. So it's a it's a fine line in any race, especially sprint races. And lucky to have a good jockey that knows the horse well. And James yeah. McDonald, he's a real star. He's, he rode here for a short while in, in the UK, but he really is a star mm. and uh, he's a big asset to us. I'll come back to him in just a moment. I just want to have a look at the, the start of the Lightning Stakes and, and Nature Strip. Just have a little look for those who haven't seen it. I'm sure, Chris, you've seen this piece of footage about 4,000 times and yeah. mused over it. If, if something like that happened at Ascot, would, it, would that be game over for him? Well, that was home affairs in mm. front of him, mm. um, and that was arguably Nature Strip's best run. He just got beat. He got beat a nose by home affairs. Mm. Um, but it showed that he actually doesn't have to charge. In his early racing, he really did charge, and it was catch-me-you-can type tactics. Now he can actually sit off them and, and still be as strong on the line. So that's what we'll be counting on on, on Tuesday with that tough straight. So that showed that there's another string to his bow. How was that for you in the aftermath? A horse that you must <laughs> absolutely love, Nature Strip. In, in turn, Hart yeah, must have been... It was. Was Hart with Nature Strip in the last furlong, even uh, though you trained both uh, of them? Yeah, for sure. I don't take sides. It's as simple as that. But the older horses always always have that special place. Yeah. The colt that won the race, it was, it was probably the making of his stallion career. He'd already won a stallion-making race early on. So commercially, and for your relationship with Coolmore, that's massive. It's, a, it's one of their... It's a, it's a huge, huge um, feat for, for home affairs. Um, but, yeah, it was tough because I've got to be equally responsible for both owners. And, yeah, the, the Nature Strip owners were, were flat. They were devastated. And um, But they saw a few days later how great the performance actually was. So hopefully they can both get their spoils this week. Are you um, are you going into the same problem potentially 
on Saturday in the Platinum Jubilee. If if Nature Strip comes through Tuesday okay and runs great or wins, you're going to wheel him back round for Saturday and then take on Home Affairs. We're aware that the race is there. It's as simple as that. He's got a job to do back back at home, and we've got to see how much he puts into Tuesday's race and how much it takes out of him first, mm. because he'll be going back to defend his title on the Everest in October, and it's a fifteen million dollar race. Uh, so we don't want we want to make sure there's something left <laughs> in the locker when we go back to Australia. We don't want to leave it all here at Ascot, and it's going to be tough racing. You've got your answers ready for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, haven't you? <laughs> <Is> <laughs> hopefully, it, uh, hopefully I'm in that position to yeah. do so. I mean, is it contingent on if he wins? Is that the point? He would only, you'd only consider running him Saturday if he won Tuesday. They'd have to run very well. If he didn't win, he'd have to be very unlucky or some reason like that. Maybe it's a, a luck reason if we mm-hmm. didn't, didn't break well and things didn't work out and the owners said, well, gee, we've come all this way. We didn't get a fair crack at them on Tuesday. Can we have another go Saturday? But, yeah, I, we'll just play a straight back, we'll let everybody know what's going on at the same time and um, hopefully the decision can be made at some J- stage. So at this stage, James McDonnell will ride Nate's trip on Tuesday and he'll ride Home Affairs on, on Saturday. And if you yeah. did run Nate's trip Saturday, then Jamie Carr would come in for the ride on him Saturday. Um, I would, th- I'm not sure. I'm not sure if, I ha- that's how much I've got into it. I don't mm. even know if Jamie's here. She was coming at one stage and mm. she, she rode the horse in a piece of work. Prior to getting on the plane, she's won a Group 1 on him and did run second on him on that day too. So she knows him very well. But you'd be happy with that if, if that I'm happy the... with any good jockey over here. There's some good jockeys, Nick. So tell me why you think James McDonald is so good. I mean, a lot of us mm. think he's he's right up there, mm. maybe even the best in the world. If if not, then he's certainly up in the top three or four. Yeah, well, he's so young still and he's... he's, he's well ahead of his age in terms of jockeys. I believe jockeys would imp- would mature well into their 30s in it, and then they hold that great um, level for so long. So he's still getting to that stage of life and he's a great horseman. He's a, got a great work ethic. He's meticulous with his form. He's such a fierce competitor. He's very strong and the horses like him. They, they really do run for him. And Jamie Carr has been... A sensation, really, in the last in the last year and a half. What sets her apart, do you think? It's very similar. Um, she gets the best out of a horse. They seem to keep running for her. She's not an aggressive rider by my by my my terms of how I would assess a rider, and she just treats her horses very kindly, and they really respond for her. So that's been unique. Um, she's great at positioning them, positioning them, and the crowds and punters love her. So. There's a reason for that. She wins lots of races and she's a great ambassador to, to, to racing. And yeah, if you get a chance to see her over here, you'll be pretty impressed. Uh, what I'm, I'm really interested in is how you as someone who has amassed 125 plus grade one races in a fairly short space of time manages to appear so measured. <laughs> is it all going on inside and it, this yeah. is just what we see <laughs> on the exterior? No, I'm, I do put a lot into it and give things plenty of thought and uh, yeah I don't get too far ahead of myself as I've, as I've continued to say so um, yeah, I don't expect uh, huge accolades or anything like that. I've got a great team, that's why I'm good, it's as simple as that, I respect that, I respect the team uh, because without all those boys and girls working tirelessly at the stables I wouldn't be here with this opportunity today and I wouldn't have trained those winners and and it would stop pretty quick if I upset them and didn't treat them right. So 
Yeah, we work as a team and you'll see me after race get quite emotional. It's basically because of the team. Because of those people who yeah. put so much graft yeah. into getting yeah. those horses. I've been, I was one of them. I'm, I'm a strapper. I started from the bottom and worked my way through and I've had so many opportunities along the way that I've taken, taken with both hands and um, yeah, it's been good this last week just to get around and hose a horse, which I wouldn't have done for probably four or five years or um, help saddle a horse up at track work. I do it race day, but um, in track work and uh, I cleaned a couple of boxes yesterday on a, on a Saturday afternoon where I'd never ever do that before. I'm, I'm saddling up 20 horses and it's just good to be able to get back and work with the team and um, they're having a great, great, great opportunity as well. We took two boys to Ascot through the week. They rode the horses up the straight and it was just a, a, a highlight for them and they you can just see on their faces they appreciate it and they appreciate working with nice horses and it's good to be able to provide that opportunity to, to young people. You feel it's important to take your time to sort of fill yourself with the joy of the sport when yeah, you can yeah. and not to take it. Yeah, not, I don't, I'd get very, a sense you take nothing for granted. No, definitely not. Uh, I enjoy getting up in the morning. I enjoy watching them watch work, work um, and their track work and their recoveries and their race, the race planning and, um, yeah, I I respect uh, every aspect of racing, and that's because you've had a clearly the the upbringing that's that's got you so centred in in a sport that is so highly adrenalised so often. Yeah, it is the emotions of winning, losing, and and everything in between. It's it's high, and I guess controlling that emotion is important as well. You don't want to build your team up to say, well, we're going to have the best day ever today and you come home with no winners or likewise with the owners or the punters. You tell every, tell all the punters that your horses are going to win. Monday's paper doesn't read too well <laughs> or social media. So we just try and, as I said before, we try and keep a straight bat, give information and try and take the highs and lows out of the sport. And who, who guides you, who picks you up? Who's my, my wife keeps me, keeps me on, on the ground, that's for sure, Stephanie. Um, yeah, so I, I don't need picking up. I know the, the, in my position there's always something to look forward to and uh, whether it be this Saturday, next Saturday, next season, the two-year-old's coming through, there's so much to look forward to. And is Stephanie with you for, for no, Ascot Week? No, she's taken, she's stayed at home with the kids. They're, um, they're in a new school and we've also got family that we think is important as well too. So yeah, it's not just about, um, yeah, the 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 um, the celebrations that come with this great racing, we've still got grassroots and family. And is there a Wallard racing dynasty <laughs> to follow? It's a bit young, yeah. My daughter, she's very keen on the on the horses. She's nine, and my son's twelve, so no pressure there. Uh, I don't know if I really need them to go through what uh, the, the 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 sacrifices we make, but um, they can make that decision when the time's right. But you'd be happy for them to make that decision. I'd be happy for them to find a nice job, uh, nine to five and uh, five days a week. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai.